Show weekly podcast with Ben. Hi guys. And Charlie. Hello. We're back again. Do be sure to follow our socials for updates and news. Hit that notification bell and please drop us a like and a follow. We really appreciate the support. If you have been following along on our socials this week, you'll know that today we're going to be talking about Blake Edwards' 1961 Breakfast at Tiffany's. And we have a special guest star today, Ethan Colburn from Cineflect Podcast. Ethan, how are you doing? Hello, I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for thanks for having me on. No, it's our pleasure. Um, Ethan, do you want to give the folks at home a little bit of information about who you are, where you are, and what your podcast is about? Uh, yeah, sure. So, so I'm Ethan. I'm I'm from California. I've been I've been doing my podcast um, since July or so. So coming up on like nine months. It's um basically the concept is I have like a friend on every week. They pick one of their favorite movies, and we pair that movie with a cocktail. We usually get kind of drunk, uh, and and have a conversation about the movie. Uh, it's been it's been it's it's been it's been really fun. I've I've had a great time with it. It's it's kind of something, it's kind of something where I I like to just drink and talk about movies with my friends, anyways. So I might as well just like record it and and put it out there. So yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of where it started, and uh, it's. It's uh, it's it's kind of gained a following since then. So I'm so I'm happy to I'm I've been pretty pleased bit by it. Well, we were really happy to reach out to you um, for that reason. Yeah. The the same reason why we started. Well, Charlie started this podcast is that you know we, me and Charlie love talking about film all the time, and we thought why don't we just record it and yeah. and see where it goes. But um, totally. obviously today we only felt it natural to keep up your tradition for you on the podcast. I know it's like <laughs> 11 a.m. for you. Cool in california but it is it is like 7 30 here in the uk so um yeah you do have a couple of dubs. um you always have that's uh, prime drinking time why did you why did you start the the cocktail drinking on the show why did you feel it was like you wanted to match a cocktail to to the movie you were watching well so i i bartended like briefly like before the pandemic so i've i've like some experience making drinks i'm i'm not like not really like properly trained, but like I was officially a bartender at a restaurant. So, so, but that kind of gave me the idea. Like, I mean, I think I was watching like pinching with Babish as well, where like he was pairing food with, with different movies and like trying to recreate the, the foods. And I was like, I feel like we could come up with some, you know, like, like fun cocktails. It's either like a, like, and so some of them end up being like super obvious. Like if I'm ever doing like the big Lebowski, you have to do like white Russians with it. Or like some of them are just like yeah. obvious because they're in the movie. And some of them I'm like kind of goes with it in spirit. And some of them, it's just like my friends want to drink this and you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it out. Cause this is, this is what we want to have. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a fun, it's kind of a fun hook into the show, I guess. And then it just, uh, yeah, I guess it ended up like, kind of ping our like main premise that makes sense combination do you think is what the best so far oh that's a good question um like some of the original cocktails have been really have been really fun like i had i had a bartender on who who did on the waterfront and she's and she's like 
a really good bartender. So she like did her own take on like a Manhattan called the Hoboken, which is where on the waterfront is set sort of incorporated like Irish whiskey. Cause there's Irish people there. And like, she, she like did her own take on it, which is really, really cool. Um, I've done a couple like original cocktails, which have been kind of fun to like put together ingredients. We decided to go for the uh, martini for breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's, which is, of course, our film of the week for this week. Um, no, I totally feel a martini, yeah. It, it was quite hard to get out to the shops during the pandemic, so uh, I yeah. currently just have gin and tonic and uh, cider, and I know Ben has some beer. Charlie, what are you drinking? You managed to I, get the I've ingredients. Got, you? Yeah, it's a, a gin, gin martini I've got. Gin so, martini. Yeah, it definitely goes well with the movie. Ethan, are you more of a gin martini or vodka i'm a. it it depends i think i think more of a vodka person but like i've i've done this i've done this like elderflower martini where you put like a bit of like elderflower liquor in it and that usually goes about better with gin because gin's a little more like floral like er herby i guess do i sound really pretentious right now and charlie got really excited Oh, elderflower <laughs> gin. Oh. oh, yeah. No, it's fantastic. You can only do elderflower with vodka, so. Of course, we don't want to encourage a lot of drinking on the show, but, no. I mean, there is something about... <laughs> i got to put disclaimers <laughs> on my podcast, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, looking back at how we did in December, there was something about the night in which we all watched Pulp Fiction live oh, and we did a drinking such game. A good night. <laughs> it was a great night, and, and that was also the night that we decided that we wanted to invite Ben onto the podcast because he brought really good energy. I mean, granted, he was probably blindsided drunk, you know. <laughs> we all were. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was good fun. It was a great energy, and um, you know, it's it's nice to you know have a drink by my side and, and talk about films uh, with with a new guest. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that dynamic to the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Happy I could bring with <laughs> happy I could bring it along. He's not even had a drink, and he's fumbling his words. This is me sober, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Eleven thirty for you right now. So in half an hour, you could get away with a with a martini. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. Peer it it like has to be but... in the PM, I, I suppose, or the or the early AM. Uh, but, you can uh, tell you. Yeah, we'll, see, we'll see how the afternoon <laughs> yeah, goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like like tiny story when, when when like I was studying abroad in in, in Paris, like the people there were all like telling me, it, it, like the school was telling me, like, oh, no one really binge drinks like Americans, like the Europeans, like they're really elegant about like the way they drink and then i met all my british friends in paris <laughs> i was like oh no, no, no like maybe the french do but like <laughs> the british like binge binge drink way more than us i don't know i don't know what i don't know what kind of bullshit they were telling us we're bad well, i've always it. said this but you, you know it, it's it's such a huge part of our social culture here here in the uk 100 yeah, you know in, in america if you want to meet a friend it's like hey let's meet at the salad bar or let's go for a coffee or you know <laughs> <laughs> or that's just like, hang on a second yeah. are, you, are you sure we're still talking about america <laughs> oh my god let's go to the salad bar <laughs> <laughs> um maybe i spent too much time in princeton who knows uh spent too much time around ivy league rich people who just ate salad every day but uh, no uh i remember my american friends saying to me you know well, well then what do you do if you're doing something social and i just said well here's a text message from a few years ago mm -hmm. to my friend charlie that says 
pub question mark at 11 30 in the morning so <laughs> <laughs> sounds about Need right I, say for sure. I mean it's part, of the, it's part of the uni experience isn't it as us it's like right night out the morning after pub yeah, yeah. yeah. when it Perfect. opens go spoons <laughs> for like a, a breakfast exactly yeah all yeah, of our breakfast pudding first yeah the whole system of bang <laughs> so obviously great. we're going to talk about breakfast at tiffany's today but um usually ethan on the show we we have a bit of a catch-up because we don't get a chance to talk between podcasts and we like to know what else we've been watching apart from uh the film of the week um charlie why don't you start us off what have you been watching this week uh so i watched under the recommendation from josh who plays guitar in the band uh quadrophenia which is based around the who uh album yeah. of the same name and because I'm a massive 1960s fan, uh, but I, just, I didn't rate it. I really didn't rate it. It's just something off about it for me. But Do you know what mm. it was? What was off about it? Well, it all like goes up to this point where they have this fight on Brighton Beach. And I was like, oh, that's going to be the end of the film. And like that'll be like saying something about a generation, like, you know, something like that. And it just... It carried on afterwards, and I was like, it's, "Yeah, just felt off." What What have you been watching, Joe? Um, so the, I mean, I've been very busy this week. I've been moving house, uh, between various other things, trying to also not neglect our social media pages as well. Uh, I think I forgot to post the weekly film <laughs> this Monday, but I did manage to catch Return of the Jedi because we we've just finished the Star Wars marathon that me and my house were doing. Uh, so that was fun. Um, but obviously, everyone knows Return of the Jedi. I'm not going to talk about that. But I did watch half, and I mean just half, of Braveheart. Because I was too busy to watch the second half. <laughs> um, Long movie. I know. Well, what a, what a great half of a movie. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in such a long time. It's incredibly historically inaccurate, but it's such a great film. Uh, yeah, I, I think... I think um, I think he gets a bad reputation for 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 Braveheart, Mel Gibson. But you I should I do the uh, do the line in an accent, Joe. What the famous line where he's like, famous uh, line. I, am, "I am William Wallace. I, I don't shoot lightning bolts at my arse. They'll <laughs> 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 never take our lands." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I apologize profusely. <laughs> for no, that's that. great. I think I our first it. martini's got oh. to my head. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, ben, what have you been watching this week? I know you've had a pretty busy week yourself. Yeah, pretty busy, but um, I did watch. Uh, well, I tried to watch uh, Breakfast Tiffany's the first time around, and it wasn't having it. Uh, we defaulted to Netflix, and we watched uh, What Men Want, which is a comedy that's on there currently. And uh, yeah, it's. Um, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a good time um it's quite a it's it's quite a basic principle it's kind of a comedy but it's got a um this woman the main character can basically has some drugs given to her by this fake psychic and she starts hearing men's inner thoughts um it's quite a wacky concept um but it's it's quite funny there's a lot of um kind of stereotypes and just kind of yeah it's good it was a good film, good fun. I, if you don't want to take a film seriously, I would, uh, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's pretty good fun. Yeah, so, so, so Mel Gibson made a movie called What Women Want. Which one came first, you know? 
That's a good question. Well, this came out last year. No, 2019. So uh, okay, so that was I like a remake it's... because Mel Gibson yeah, was I think like, it's like a 99 or something. Yeah, 2000. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it's the, just the swips, the swip side, uh, the switch side yeah, of that sure. premise, basically. Um, yeah, now you mentioned it, I remember that that is a film. So, but well, yeah, it's Mel Gibson's lucky day. We've mentioned him twice. <laughs> I don't actually know if he was. <laughs> He'll be so great in the making of the second one. I would be. I'd be surprised if he was. Um, Probably not. Yeah, no, I don't think he was. You never know these days. Most of the actors have like a production company these days, don't they? Like, and they're all involved That's true. in That's true. They can random films and everything. It says that Cameron Diaz was supposed to star in the lead of the the loose sequel, but then it was released on Netflix instead. I don't know. I don't think Mel Gibson was connected to it at all. Probably not a bad thing. Mel Gibson's <laughs> kind of gone weird uh, of late in, in his in his older years. Yeah, weird is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> He kind of falls into that same category of Tom Cruise. I really like Tom Cruise, and I think he gets a bad reputation. But uh, Tom Cruise went so weird for about 10 years there. <laughs> and then Scientology happened. <laughs> so he's still pretty weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Ethan? What have you been watching? I mean, I mean, going off like the 60s theme, I watched, um, I watched Monterey Pop, which is about like the Monterey Pop Festival. Just had a bunch of great live concerts. Um, I saw like the Jimi Hendrix set yeah. from that too, which is just like iconic. They made that into a separate thing. Um, the Who also played there, by the way. They oh, nice. and I'm like that's the one where they famously like smash the guitar and like smash all the drums and just, like is security's it, um, coming on the stage. Like, should I stop them? Is <laughs> it the guy great. who did uh, Don't Look Back? It's the same director, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. it's D.A. Pennebaker is the That's, is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. the is the filmmaker. So that was really fun. And and by the way, I've actually seen the Who live, and they're like still fantastic. Oh, wow. It was like really wow. fun. But but um, and then I also saw Sound of Metal, which is another like kind of movie about music and all that. That was like my favorite of this week. Really, really good. Um, in terms of like old like other other things I've seen this week, I did I did both Ratatouille and Up on the podcast. So those will be coming out like pretty soon so i had to see oh, i had to see the two of those i parallax view which is like this kind of thriller from the 70s which is really fun and this uh and this sort of film noir japanese one called branded to kill uh which was little like not not quite as good as i i was i was expecting it to be but still still pretty fun i think th i think that's about it so just a few films then. Just a few. Yeah, not many. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> that might not be it. Yeah. <laughs> I, need to check. I think you've watched more films this week than than Ben has. Like yeah. since he started the podcast. It's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've exactly. watched like two things. <laughs> I actually have an I have a cool um fact or trivia piece about the Who and um their first um American TV performance. Um I can't remember what show it is. I it never I never remember what the show was, but um Was it Ed Sullivan? If, yeah, probably, probably. But if you watch the video of that, so you can just YouTube it. But basically the drummer. Um the one where they blow the, the bass Keith room. Moon. Yeah, so the drummer yeah, yeah. yeah, so Keith Moon basically wanted to like pull this stunt. Um because they, that's what they were doing at the time, wasn't it? They were like smashing guitars, yeah. like doing crazy yeah. stuff and basically he was like right american tv we're gonna do something big so he basically went to the guy on set like uh can you can we 
can we put some pyrotechnics in the drum? Like, and when the, when we in the set, I want you to blow yeah. the drum out. And basically, <laughs> the guy was like, "Yeah, I'll put a little bit in." He was like, "No, no, no, no. put more in." And he just like packed it full in. And basically, if you watch the video of it, the the pyrotechnic goes, the drum blows up. He didn't tell any of the others about it. They're all like absolutely scared. And if you watch him, he like grabs his hand, and the drum actually like blew up on his hand, and he like he's actually like bleeding and wounded and he's like crawling off the stage it's kind of crazy yeah it's crazy that's it's crazy that's also the one that um i think pete townsend is still like half deaf from that from that explosion because he was like yeah. right next to it it went off like right next to his ear yeah 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 nice. still deaf in one of his ears <laughs> gosh yeah i think they were pretty pissed at him for for a while <laughs> i'd be pissed <laughs> it's pretty funny though it's yeah. funny. Who wouldn't imagine, be pissed? Imagine Just One Direction like I'm okay. these days. <laughs> one I know, seriously. Like this is what like the kids were listening to, isn't it crazy? Like just better music. <laughs> well, Ethan, again, it's great to have you on the podcast this week, and um, it, yeah, it's just it's nice to have a ref- uh, you know a refreshing voice on the podcast. But we have a couple of questions for you, if you wouldn't mind answering them. Yeah, hundred percent. That's why I'm here. I mean, you kind of answered a couple of them in your introduction, sort of about you know why and how you started your your podcast. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think more of a, an interesting question I'd like to ask you is is what kind of film or moment or experience made you like sort of fall in love with with film and and um, and cinema in general and and why why you thought it would be a, a good thing to talk about and 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 broadcast yeah that's a good that's a that's a good question i think i think it was like i think it was like a few a few moments over time uh for me like one of them is sort of an odd one but like i was watching the other woman with cameron diaz i don't know if you remember <laughs> you remember that movie mm-hmm. it's it's it was really bad i i like really disliked it and like i was yeah. i i sat there with my girlfriend i was just like damn like i i wasted like two hours on like this <laughs> dumb comedy with cameron diaz and then i was just kind of like i should start actually watching good movies because like i could have seen taxi driver in this amount of time and i still haven't seen tax like i still haven't seen taxi driver you know so i was like Whoa. i was like i kind of had this like existential crisis like why am i wasting time watching like shitty cameron diaz comedies so that happened and then and then the other one that kind of like I mean, there's been a few films over time that have affected me. I think it was like, like a gradual thing that kind of got me to where I am with all of it. But um, the silent movie Metropolis by Fritz Lang is like a German silent movie. I, I like I fantastic. I, yeah, it's amazing. And like I, I saw that like in high school. I was just I was just kind of looking up information about it. Like the stills looked really cool. And then like I. I found out like so much of it had been lost for so long. And like, I was just kind of, it was kind of late at night on like a weekday and I just kind of put it on my laptop and I was just like, it blew, it blew my mind how something like that was like 90 years old could connect to me as much as it did. And so I think that's what really like drew me to dig more into like old movies and, and stuff, because I was just amazed how, how genuine and, uh, and sort of, and, and like how how, how 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 like the emotional beats of that movie still work so effectively. If that makes sense. That's a really good answer. And Metropolis is such an amazing film. Yeah, as well. Totally. So uh, uh, Ben really likes Avatar, and I just wanted to get your opinion on Avatar. 
<laughs> I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> you know, I, I actually I just I just watched Avatar like like a couple months ago. I hadn't seen it since the theaters. And uh I was expecting to not like it. I was honestly expecting to not like it, like because there's a there's kind of there was a, like there was a pretty big Avatar backlash after it came out, so I was kind of like, uh, it's gonna be kind of dumb and whatever. And it's it's a really cool movie. I, I wouldn't like say I love it, but I would say like, I mean, it feels like it feels like an '80s action movie with like 21st century technology, and like it's still there's still nothing that looks quite like it. And in that sense, like I was I was really just impressed by like how immersive it all was. I think Ben's very happy right now. I think that pretty much summed up what we were talking about. It like mm-hmm. I, I, it has a special place in my heart just because I am I am all over that sci-fi stuff. But I managed yeah. to get these guys to admit that it was very immersive. So I'm I'm happy yeah. that is a You never had to convince opinion. me it was immersive. I, was, I said it was immersive. <laughs> but I'm sorry, but five stars on Letterboxd. Come on, Ben. Come on. <laughs> Don't judge me. It's okay. <laughs> Well, we're not going to go back to that heated place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you, Charlie, for stoking some stoking the fire there. Yeah, it was just about we're going to be talking about this in like five years' time. It'll still come up, even when they're yeah. on Avatar like three. Yeah, <laughs> it's like was the original one that good? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think you should, that should be like your first question to every guest on this podcast. Yeah, you like Avatar? Yeah, you like Avatar? Avatar, yes or no? <laughs> Uh, actually, I thought of a question on the spot when you were talking about your love for old films. Um, if you could pick a decade that is your, your your favorite decade for films, what would it be? I know it's a very hard question. Oh, it's a good um, question. It's a solid question. It's uh, I was thinking about this recently. It, it, like for me, like I I love like any time period that's just like that's there's just like a lot of change happening. You know, there's just like a lot of like creative like because. You know, it happens at various points, like think about like the mid 90s with like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson or like kind of like the late silent era was like just like people were doing crazy stuff with the camera. But like, I think like the most kind of creative time. I mean, it's between the 60s and the 70s, and I just don't like it's kind of, it's kind of a toss up because I mean, you look at the 70s, you look at like what was happening in America and that was like. That was like definitely the best decade for Hollywood, but I mean, probably the best decade for foreign film was the sixties mm-hmm. and Hollywood yeah. was sort of influenced by that. So I, I, I have to be a toss up between those two. I, I don't, I don't really have a solid answer. I was just about to say, I think I'd sway more to the seventies, but then I just remembered that 2001 a space odyssey exists. And now I'm, yeah. now I'm, yeah. I'm yeah, torn again. <laughs> It's like that whole yeah. new Hollywood period is like really, really rich with like amazing films. It's like an amazing time period. Yeah, I mean, like I watched the Parallax View, which is, I mean, it should be, it should be like a basic action thriller, and they're just doing so much like creative stuff. Like they're just like, they're just like the way they're choosing to edit it, and like the way, like it, it it's, it's a lot less conventional than, than the kinds of movies that came like before or after the 70s in hollywood it's just like it's it's really like avant-garde for kind of like a studio thriller and like that's just a lot of what you get was was like that you obviously had like james bond as well in the 1960s which you know very oh i love bond yeah, yeah and which yeah, is your favorite oh my favorite bond yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably from russia with love 
Probably my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Which one but, was that? Who, who was that with Bond? That that was the second one that, that was with Connery. Oh, okay. No, honestly, maybe it's you know it's between that and Honor, Majesty's Secret Service. I I really love that one. Mm-hmm. The one with That's the one with really Lazenby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a great theme. Yeah, I mean Lazenby is kind of a weak spot in the fran- franchise, but um, but I think everything around it works so well. Like Diana Rigg is amazing in it, and it's just like the whole Swiss like skiing chases, and it's it's really fun. I don't want to say it, but Honor Majesty's Secret Service has such, I don't know, like sex appeal. It's just, yeah, it's just totally. oozing sex appeal. Like it, it, everything about it is just, this is the most stylish a film can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I know, I feel that. Yeah. And I don't think a Bond film has touched that level of uh, sex appeal since. Um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to to. the final Daniel Craig one. And that's been delayed for a while now. But um... in terms of sex appeal, I think the closest they got was like. Goldeneye, maybe after that. I like the I'd say maybe yeah. sexiest Cine Cine Royale. Maybe maybe got a bit close. Royale as well. Yeah. 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 Well, Eva Green, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and they played up the whole like that, like infamous, you know, when he's like walking mm. out the water and he's got like, you know, like yeah. the short speedos on, and he's just like strolling out the water and then like that's the girls the, going the, past. That's him. like the first time, that's like the first time in the franchise, like the camera's like thirsting after James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually always zooming in and some like girls like random. Yeah, games. exactly. Like... So my, my girlfriend didn't think that Eva Green was, was sexy or had like no sex appeal. And I was like, oh, what is wrong God. with her? And she just said, well, she's too British. Her forehead is too big. Like, <laughs> first <laughs> you know of all, she's French. So, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it was the accent. So, um, we're, we're yeah, I, I haven't let that go. For sex appeal, I think Judy Dench and Skyfall. You know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, child. Yeah. No need to really bring it. Real, you know, we don't need to get into kinks here. All right. <laughs> <laughs> let's keep it PG. Let's. let's yeah. You know. <laughs> And I know you've had a martini already, and you're working on your second one. But that's you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eva Green was that. I that Casino Royale for me. That was like, I don't know, but I always remember that in the front of my mind as being like kind of almost like the first time like a real pivotal character just like completely flips and betrays on like the other main character. And it was like mm. one of the first films in that kind of like of that ilk that I watched. And I was like, it's still like kind of just a bit of nostalgia. It's like, oh, she did him dirty. And it's like, every time I watch it, I, I'm just like waiting for that to happen. It's quite exciting. Oh, when she drowns well, I mean, at the end, it's horrible. Oh, I, it's, break. I can't watch that. Drowning is such a horrible way to go. Yeah, I mean, that 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 and Honor Majesty's Secret Service are like the two times that James Bond like kind of falls in love or like really wants to settle down with someone. So those are those are definitely like the most romantic. They have that in common. Mm-hmm. I just love the whole franchise. I mean, oh, you guys should see I have I have like a massive Moonraker poster on my wall here. If you can see that. Oh, you see nice. that? oh wow, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> cool. That's sick. That's huge. It's, it's that literally massive. it's so massive. It's so massive. I like don't know what 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 I'm gonna do with it because it's like too big to frame at this point. <laughs> it cost me like a thousand dollars. Wow, it's, it's wow. hilarious. Wow. Well, I mean, you have to like it's it's like six feet, you know. That's yeah. That's almost like framing me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, almost. 
Almost. <laughs> well, no, I'm. I'd have to bend down a bit. I'm six foot three. Thank you very much. There you go. <laughs> I post just like squeeze you into that. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Ethan, obviously, uh, seeing as you're the guest on the show this week, we we had to get you to pick the film of the week, and we posted it on our show shows yeah. a week ago. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Obviously, you said you're torn between the 60s and 70s, but considering you chose this as the film of the week, uh, I mean. Might be a giveaway. Yeah, it might just be. Um, I watched the film um, yesterday. Uh, ben, I know he's he had trouble trying to watch it over the past few days. He just got around to watching the end today, so I'm glad he managed to catch that. But I mean, Ethan, why don't you start us off? Like, what? Why do you love this film? Why did you recommend it? I mean, I think it was so. So this is just a movie that. Like I've grown up, like I've seen it countless times. Like I just had the DVD when I was a kid and I don't know why I gravitated it. Like, I I don't know why I gravitated so much towards it as a kid. Like I, but I I, I just watch it on repeat and there's something so kind of like, I've always just been like a romantic and there's something so romantic about just like they, they throw away their whole, they, 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 they both throw way their chance at getting rich like so that they can be like in love together and i think there's something so kind of beautiful about that i think what's odd is like when i was a kid i didn't i didn't pick up on like on like so much of like the subtext of that i mean she's she's not really like a prostitute but she's like getting paid to sleep around with guys and like and this like old lady's like cheating on her husband all the time and paying for his apartment so that she can like hook up with him there. And like, there was so much subtext that I didn't really pick up on as a kid. So of all the movies I watched frequently, it's, it's, it's oddly changed the most for me, like from, from my like earlier years watching it. But uh, it's, I mean, it's just, it's just a classic. Like I've just, I've just, I've just loved the, the sort of vibe of the movie and the sort of free like New York sixties kind of aspect of it as well. Yeah, for sure. I must say it's one of the, the, the party scene when it, when they're in a hen, uh, yeah. Audrey Hepburn's apartment. I, I really wanted to be at that party. Like, no, seriously. <laughs> I was, party scene. Yeah, totally. I put this in my notes. Cause I'm like, usually like parties and movies don't like, don't really do it for me. It's sort of like, this looks like, no, th- that party looks so fun like i just i, I yeah. <laughs> it looks so fun i love the i love the woman crying in front of the mirror and like all these like yeah. crazy drug fe- it's it looks insane that's always charlie <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's always charlie at a party <laughs> cry in front of cry in front of a mirror luckily i haven't got a mirror in my room so we're all right yeah. tonight. my, my 21st <laughs> birthday my 21st birthday party we were having such a great time and then we go into my room and Charlie's like, oh, let's stick the end on by the doors on vinyl. And we stick it on. We, Charlie <laughs> just lies on my floor for 11 minutes listening to it. It almost like breaks down in tears. <laughs> I, saw, I had that moment literally two nights ago. You guys don't even know. Like, I just like, I just threw it on like, and I just lied in my bed with headphones. And I was like, it's, it's, it's a weird experience. I mean, arguably one of the greatest songs ever written. Really? Yeah. A hundred percent. I love the doors. I, mean, I could go that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, have you heard? the end by the doors i don't think i have, I'll have oh, to, yeah. man, once we finish this down like three bottles of beer <laughs> not a prerequisite we'll just get absolutely get absolutely steaming drunk and before you listen to it but yeah no i, I know exactly 
I know exactly what you mean about the the party. Um, yeah. So many times in films when you, you see a party, you can just tell that the room is completely silent. And they've added the music in in yeah, post totally. and you know no one's shouting over each other but i get the sense that you know it was really like a student house party like i just want to get to the toilet and i'm having yeah. to like say hi <laughs> yeah. to everyone on the way yeah. how are you doing yeah. what are you studying this year you know what, yeah. what course are you on oh who do you live with i don't give i don't give a shit i want to go to the <laughs> toilet and get another beer on the way back um <laughs> so yeah it was it was a great party yeah, sorry. It's also it, it's it, it's also like the point where Blake Ed, Edwards kind of gets to show show off some of his slapstick stuff because he's a, he's he's the same guy that did like he's the same guy that did the Pink Panthers and stuff, and so it's kind of a mm -hmm. point where he gets to show off some of his like, you know, some lady's hat catches on fire and someone happens to <laughs> pour pour booze on her head, and so so like he gets to set up these kind of Pink Panthery like Timba. Like, <laughs> Pokes in that the tim the timber thing's great too, yeah. One of my favorite moments was when he was like he was on his all fours and someone was like sat in him like a stool and he just lifts the his foot up and puts his cigarette under it. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it's that class. too. It's class. <laughs> and the phone being in the in the suitcase as well. Yeah. It's it's just fantastic. Um Yeah. I there was no what was it in the in the was it at the party when he brings a copy of the his book? as a gift yeah, and yeah. she just puts it on the empty shelf and she's like doesn't <laughs> it look so amazing <laughs> as if you say you know like all all of my like look at all my other books that i don't have <laughs> doesn't <laughs> it look so amazing um that was that was fantastic and uh, if if you don't want to date audrey hepburn by the end of it then there's something wrong because oh my god she's so perfect in it <laughs> So well, you say that, well, but I mean... she, she kind of reminded me of, um, if you've seen 500 Days of Summer, yes, really reminded that, yeah. me, yeah, that kind of lovable girl next door, but also if you fall in love with her, she will break your heart in, you know, two to three weeks, kind of but vibe. If you want your heart broken by anyone, it's going to be Audrey Hepburn, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd get my so heart broken that's been by Judy Dench, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you guys know that uh, Marilyn Monroe was supposed to be the lead as Holly Golightly? Um, but the uh, her Monroe's drama coach basically said that playing a call girl was was not going to be good for her image, and I just find that fascinating because monroe being this you know this definitive sex icon you know this you know, one of the most beautiful women that has ever existed turning down a role because it was going to be bad for her image in which you know someone came along and replaced her and then went on to win golden globe and well not win but be nominated for an academy award and a golden globe simultaneously um and also the author of the the original book as well uh yeah. Yeah, he wanted Monroe to to be in the lead. He envisioned he like he saw her as as Holly. I can see and, it to be fair. Like, yeah, I'm glad she isn't in it, but I I can see it. I could see it working. Yeah, I mean you're you're in an interesting you're in you're in an interesting era for Monroe. It's like two years before she died, and she's uh. She really was. She she had gone through like drama school. She's like trying to like kind of distance herself from like the gentlemen prefer blondes kind of like 
like ditzy dumb blonde stuff, but she's having trouble doing that because she's still doing movies like like Tumble Like It Hot and stuff, and and uh, she's struggling with dr- drug issues. I I could I could I could see it. I wouldn't like. I think she'd have to like not not play it like her Marilyn Monroe kind of caricature. Like I think she'd have to kind of like like I've seen her act and she's actually a great actress when she chooses to really like immerse herself in a character. And I feel like she'd have to try to become Holly politely. Like I think Audrey Hepburn genuinely like I I start to see the character here and not and not her as much after a while just because she she really doesn't feel like the Audrey Hepburn that you that you know outside of this, if that makes sense. I think it was um, quite a risky film. I think for for the nineteen sixties, and especially with the yeah. you know the novel so so openly spoke about kind of homosexuality and drug use and miscarriages and and things like that, and 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 essentially, I mean, Capote even described um, Holly as this kind of American geisha. Uh, and so, so I, I wish if I could criticize the film in any way, I think I'd, I would have liked to have seen more of that. But I understand, you know, for 1960s Hollywood, that would have been very difficult. And um, there's even like, uh, as I understand in the book, there's even hints that um, that the main guy was was homosexual, that that he was struggling with his own sexuality. Uh, and, you know, yeah. his friendship with Holly that kind of helps him through that. And so... I think I would have liked to have seen that maybe, you know, God forbid in this day and age, if there's ever a remake of the film would probably see some more of that from the novel. It's quite a daring film for its time, I suppose. Yeah. Had it been made 10 years later, it probably would have had all that, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you're like starting to, I mean, this, this is the same year as a psycho too, which pushed, pushed the bounds of like what, what could be shown to American audiences. And then, and then obviously with, with all like the foreign movies that came out of the sixties, they, they finally loosened up on like the Hollywood code. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's ahead of its time, but at the same time, like so much changed in that decade that it would have been completely mm-hmm. different. Absolutely. Uh, of course, the only elephant in the room of breakfast at Tiffany's is Mickey Rooney's portrayal of, uh, the Japanese neighbor, Mr. Yuniyoshi. Yeah. Which is just, I just try uh... to ignore it. <laughs> like it's so hard. <laughs> Who allowed that? Who who just said this is okay? Like, why is like the story can work without that character really being there in a sense? I suppose maybe it's part of that. It, like, it adds a bit of that slapstick, you know, because it's it yeah. provides that element in the party, and it's it's like you know when when she's drunk with him after like that whole weird thing with um Doc um. And it's like it kind of just provides that almost comedic relief, which is kind of horrendous to say because it's like a really stereotyped and quite twisted view. But I suppose it was the '60s, right? Like a lot was different then, and kind of public perception. There's nothing. There wasn't anything wrong with it. So it was very um, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think it definitely fits. Like you just have to watch the film in the context of when it was shot, and it, it, it. it fits. I mean, obviously mm. today, obviously you wouldn't, you wouldn't get anything like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's just kind of one of those things, isn't it? Really? It's there. 
I think at the time it was kind of like funny and offensive. I think it was still like I think it was still kind of a dated caricature for its time, but it was it was like it was funny that he was like playing a dated caricature. It was like hilarious that they got like Mickey Rooney to do this. And then now it's just like you just feel uncomfortable like laughing at it. So and also like it's just not I mean yeah, like the the jokes to me just aren't that good. Like it's just not that funny in general, aside from it mm-hmm. being extremely racist. So yeah, I mean I mean, I I understand to a lot of people why like they have more trouble with this movie just given that that is in it. If you can look past it though, obviously it's a great movie. There's so much else. Yeah. That, to... And you bring up a good point that it's sort of non essential in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Politically as well, this was only 16, 15, 16 years after um, World War Two. You know that. Yeah. You know, uh, political opinions and and just sort of social opinions towards Japanese people, uh, especially in America, were probably still not um, as forgiving. Fifteen years later, fifteen years is not a long time in the grand scheme of things. So it probably was. As you say, at that time, yes, a dated caricature, but also put in there because people would find it funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which is a shame looking back, but obviously times have changed now and it wouldn't be allowed today. But especially during, you know, in 1961, it, people would have laughed their heads off at Mickey Rooney doing that. Yeah. And I think, and I think, exactly. I think, I think they would have been aware it was like a dated caricature. I mean, you know, and and like if it were if it were a if it were a caricature of like an Italian neighbor, no one would care now. It's just like people like like they they did do a lot of like caricature work, and just like now, I think for good reason, we have no, we just don't have really a tolerance for like racist caricatures, so. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. it, it it's it, it's unfortunate that it's in the movie. I mean, like you could edit it out of the movie, but he actually does serve as a plot device. So then, like you'd miss things. So it's like I like yeah, it's just it's there. It like happens, and then I'm like back to the movie that I want to see. So like yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah, that's it unfortunate. feels like an awkward intermission. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if if it was cut out of the movie. Like, I think I'd have a problem with that because it's contextual anyway. As long as you have a warning before the film, then like I don't. Yeah, I obviously, it's bad, but you can't can't edit history in that way. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think. No, I agree. Yeah, I think it's it's with all movies like it's they're created in that for culture at that time, and if you try and kind of take it out of its time, I think most films feel weird. It's like we had we were talking a couple of weeks ago about. Um, playing modern day like music in like a period mm-hmm. like a period set past or like something and like you could do it and we've seen examples you know like Bridgerton and um, Crazy Rich Asians we were talking about it for like Great Gatsby where, yeah mm-hmm. it's where it's done tastefully and then on the other hand where you see like Great Gatsby where it's like yikes that's not so good and I think but I think it's the same the same argument if you take a film out of its like kind of cultural context like you said Charlie it um. I think you you lose the magic of it, and it can become you know. I mean, it's still offensive, like obviously looking back at it now. But I think when it was made, it probably wasn't so intended. It was just like, oh, this is a thing that's done, and it's we get laughs out of it, we get views out of it. So, 
it's there, you have to accept it's there, and you have to recognize it's there. But like you said, I think it would be wrong to take it out. Um, it's like yeah, basically, it's, yeah, it's it. that kind of argument of what's better, awareness or censorship. And, and I would argue that once upon a time, censorship was much more effective when things yeah. like the internet didn't exist. Um, but nowadays, censorship can also, you know, it can bring up other issues. Uh, like, I agree. You know, I agree. Are, are you going, you know, in this case, you know, if you get rid of Mickey Rooney in his very sort of stereotypical racist caricature, yes, you're in, in terms of censorship, you're doing a service to not offend anyone. But also then you're, you are disrupting this kind of piece of artwork that has been created in a time that is very different to ours now. Whereas awareness, I think, if you take recent streaming services, for example, Netflix got like had quite a bit of backlash because they edited something that was racist out of The Office. I can't remember what it was. It was either The Office or Community. Some One of those sitcoms. Oh, I think it was Community, wasn't it? Was it Community, yeah. Yeah, they, I think they took the episode down. Yeah. yeah, they took an episode out. Whereas on the other hand, Disney have taken a different approach on Disney Plus where they are presenting some of their older sort of 1940s, 1950s animated classics that do depict sort of, I wouldn't say racist, but definitely kind of uh, stereotypical and old-fashioned, more sort of conservative depictions of, of characters and cultures. And instead of editing them, they've just put a warning at the start of the film, just saying, you know, this this film contains outdated uh, presentations of, of cultures and characters. And, and yeah. And I think that does more of a, more of a service to children um, than I think censorship, because censorship you're just hiding it from children, whereas awareness is going to be much more of an effective tool to educate them. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, like I think that's a good point. And 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 to clarify my point, I I don't really I don't really ad- I like never advocate for censorship. I, I'm like a big proponent of just like has like availability of of art in general. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, I think I, I think like warnings in general are, are like, aren't really, aren't really a bad thing because they can, they can help someone if, if they think they're going to be triggered by something. But yeah, I mean, like in general, if you're, it, if you're seeing old movies, like, like you, 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 you do benefit a lot from, from seeing what was, what was okay at the time. And like, you learn a lot more from history that way and then let alone like let alone that you know just 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 art is meant for the public and i don't like the idea of like any corporation telling me what i can and can't see because that can lead to other problems too but um yeah i I mean i think I, i think in this case it's it's just an interesting idea of like could this movie exist without him and i think like it could if they like replaced his character with like a non-racist caricature, but in its in its current form, you couldn't really edit him. No. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to move on and say about the uh, the introduction, like the first shot is one of the best introduce- introductory shots in film. I love it. It's a, mm-hmm. it sets the tone yeah. perfectly for the rest of the the film. I really liked it because there's not always in films there's you sometimes never like real you never really get why it's called that film and like i just like how straight out the guns is like she's eating breakfast at tiffany's 
that's the name of the film. Like that's it. That's boom done. Like you don't have to wait like till the end of the film to like oh that's why they called it this. Like you know it's kind of I I just thought it was quite novel. It's like it's quite cool. Oh totally. And that's another thing I didn't pick up on when I was a kid was this idea that she'd clearly like had a crazy night out and she'd spent the night at some other guy's apartment so she had to walk back with her same clothes like when i was a kid i was just like wow she gets dressed up pretty early in the morning but like <laughs> like there's all these there's all these implications that i just did not get as a kid which is which is really interesting to revisit like i also didn't get that i mean snow flurries in new orleans is clearly like cocaine deliveries you know or whatever like there's there's all these there's all these things that just it's got a lot of subtext which is which is which is interesting to look at there's layers to it, isn't it? You can look at it yeah. as, as a simple love story, or you can really delve into it and understand something about society at the time, which is really interesting to look at. I, I think the other thing that I had a completely... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm rambling too much. I think the other thing that, that I had like a completely different view on when I was a kid was when Doc comes back to visit her, and and he's like, oh, you know, I married her when she was going on 14 and whatever and i'm like oh my god like i'm like oh my god like he's yeah. like this old man that <laughs> married a 14 year old like i think Great. i think when i was a kid i saw it more as like oh maybe she should go back to her like past husband but he doesn't seem like that good for her and whatever and now i'm like okay he like married a child bride like she's not being like, like i used to think she was being kind of needy by asking paul to come to the bus station with her but i'm like i don't trust this guy at all now and then also like threatened to send her brother back to the army if she didn't come home with him which is like dirty like i i was just like this guy's really messed up and i didn't pick up on that when i was a kid <laughs> there was also a line that uh that frank says uh not frank sorry, it's is it fred frank whatever the name he, he goes through the film paul, paul yeah, yeah. Ah, it's, fred baby names. Fred baby <laughs> um he, when when Holly turns around and says, uh, you know, what do, what do you think that you own me? And he says, yes, that's exactly what I think. And I just, I couldn't, that, that ruined his character for me. It, it was a shame. Uh, there was something about that he, when he said to the, the person that was uh, writing his checks for him and sort of keeping him, that, that rich woman, uh, kind of saying that it, it almost implied that he needed to be looked after and that now he had found someone to look after and to own and to care for and again like i said before really reminded me of that kind of 500 days of summer that kind of character of this this unlovable woman who you know men come along and think that they can change the, this woman's mind or or force her to fall in love and it's to me it's quite a problematic cliche that you see in a lot of romantic films this idea that you know a guy is going to come along and rescue you and own you it's true um, and uh, I, uh we looked at crazy rich asians the other week and there was none mm. of that in there and we really applauded the the way that crazy rich asians looked at a rom-com from the perspective of more culture as opposed to gender sort of stereotypes yeah that makes sense i think hollywood has always yeah. had that problem yeah like, yeah you look at like screwball comedies like that's the distillation of that that's how it's mm. like sort of started i guess but but it's it fascinating how to see a remake yeah it would it's it's yeah. fascinating how open he is about it here he's like yeah i do own you and i think i think um 
I, I I do think though that he has good intentions, and I think it's it's he phrases it really badly by like modern, you know, like like mm-hmm. for like modern audiences. But I think essentially like he's he's kind of saying like we belong together, and he's saying it like I own you, which is not really a good thing to tell people. But I think I I think his point is like you know like like that she thinks she doesn't need anyone to get along and really like she she, she, she like does need to rely on someone long term but i mean i i don't i don't see their i don't see their romance as problematic as that line if that makes sense yeah it's it's just sort of a miscalculated line yeah, i suppose it's, it's, it's wrongly it's, placed it's and... weird it's weird when he says it, yeah. I'm glad that it doesn't, like you say, sort of override their relationship. Exactly, and then when he finishes his when he finishes his speech in that scene, he's, he's, it's more about telling her that she needs to kind of like wake up and realize that she kind of can't just like yes, she's a free spirit, but at the same time, like you can't just kind of thrift your way through life constantly. You like mm-hmm. you actually have to kind of to 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 you know like. She makes a lot of it like, oh, I have to marry rich and I have to marry this and that. And, you know, and it's like, actually, you know, life, life does kind of suck a bit. And you just have to find like your like niche area, like the, the things that make you happy, the people that make you happy, which is kind of what he was getting at. Um, and yeah, you like you said, it's, it's a bit dated now. Uh, I'm sure it audiences at the time. It probably wouldn't really have resonated like in the same way it does now. It probably would have not been as big of a deal. Um, but yeah. I think it's just when you put it in the context of like he's just trying to like he loves her obviously and he's just trying to make her realize that he loves her and that she can actually be happy. Um, it's quite nice. It's quite sweet. Yeah. You call yourself a free spirit. <laughs> a wild thing. <laughs> well, you built you built this cage yourself, and what I, I love that speech. <laughs> I love how it's only just sort of clicked in my head now that she, that her character is kind of summarized by the cat as well. Like the cat kind of embodies her character. You know, this cat with no name, with no home that just, just like you say, sort of thrifts so it, its way through life. It really upset me that, that she threw the cat out of the taxi. Oh, at, the end I, of the film. at that point, I hated her character so <laughs> I much. I really hated her so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, it, it linked in well. Her throwing the cat out of the taxi really linked in well um, with his speech because you know he says you know, you're only ever going to run into yourself. And her kind of chasing after the cat at the end was her kind of saying, "Yes, I'm chasing after myself, but for the better." That yeah, I'm, you know, I'm and and I really liked that. So yeah, it was it was horrible to see him neglect the cat so so much, but it made sense at the end of the film and sort of reflecting on it. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. I just, it, 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 it's also like peak crazy Holly Golightly when she's just like in an alley going, cat, look, cat. You know, you're like, oh gosh, like she's, she is a, she's, she's a little crazy. Like I, I, she's nuts. I do, yeah, she's absolutely nuts. Like I do have my, my doubts that they're able to really last long term, but uh, it's a beautiful moment. I don't know. 
that's it's been great to have you with us ethan we'd love to have you again if you're willing yeah um, i had a great time yeah thank you if, if you want to follow ethan's podcast please do go and give him some love over on twitter that's at cinefleck uh, and check out his podcast we'd really appreciate it if you go and give him some love don't forget to subscribe to shoal as well do go check out our socials keep up to date with our film of the week ethan thanks again for joining us i can't thank you enough thank you so much and, i had a great um, time you guys Good, good. I'm glad. Next week, we're going to be talking about One Division uh, because we are in anticipation of its season finale on Disney Plus. That's this Friday coming. So do be uh, sure to stay tuned for that. This has been the Shoulder Weekly Podcast, and thanks for listening. Fred, baby.